This morning, uh, we're overjoyed to start a new series. Basically, we're going to start uh, something called the Pastoral Epistles, and that's basically First and Second Timothy in the book of Titus. Um, and, and the reason they're called the Pastoral Epistles is basically because Paul's writing to, to two pastors, to Timothy and to Titus, uh, who are overseeing churches like in, in a place called Ephesus and a place called Crete. And, and as far as when and where all these were written by Paul, it's pretty fascinating as we kind of just get into it. Uh, most Bible scholars believe uh, that they're written, uh, that Paul writes 1 Timothy and Titus after Paul's first imprisonment. Some of you might go in, what do you mean after his first imprisonment? Uh, he's writing it from a place called uh, basically Macedonia, which is northern Greece or the Balkans kind of. And, and, and there's a strong case to be made that both 1 Timothy and Titus were written between Paul's first and second imprisonment. Uh, if you remember back in Acts 21, uh, Paul was arrested. Remember, he's in Jerusalem. They warned him not to go to Jerusalem. He went to Jerusalem anyways, starts preaching the word, and he gets arrested. Uh, any of you been arrested before for preaching the word? Uh, no. No one raised their hand. Okay, for other things. Never mind. <laughs> so he gets arrested in the preceding chapters from like Acts 20 on, Acts 21 on. Uh, basically, he's in jail the whole time. He's, he's pretty much in jail the whole time. And so he spends two years in Caesarea on the coast. And he's before Felix and Festus and, and eventually Agrippa. And uh, basically, at the end of that time, he gets kind of, tired of it. And he says, hey, like, I appeal to Caesar. And so he starts this, this journey up to, up to Rome. It's, it's an amazing journey. He gets shipwrecked. There's a lot of stories there. You can read about that through the rest of the, chapter, the book of Acts. But at the end of Acts 28, at the end of the book of Acts, it just says that he's just there. It says that he was there for two years in Rome. And it kind of like implies that he just spent two years in Rome. And that's where that ended. It didn't go on from there. So didn't speak about his execution or anything, and this leads many to believe that he was released. And actually, church history uh, speaks of that and says that he was basically released, and even went as far as Spain. But during that release, uh, it's it's thought that he went back to some of the churches that he had had pastored. He went to Ephesus, he went to Crete, he went to all these other places, and he found there were problems there. So he left trustworthy people in charge of those places to deal with all the junk that had come up. And so in Crete, he left, uh, he left Titus. And in Ephesus, he left Timothy. And later on, as we read about, after, Timothy, after Paul is dead and Timothy has moved on, we find that the apostle John moves back in. We just went through the, the letters to John where he was writing from Ephesus, those first, second, third John. And so basically somewhere in, uh, around 63, 64 A.D., He's writing to first. Uh, he's writing to Timothy, the first letter of Timothy, and to Titus somewhere from Macedonia. That's 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 what's going on there. Now it was shortly after that that Nero started his persecution of the church. You remember Nero got, well, he like fiddled while Rome burned, right? And he took Christians and used them as torches and all the stuff to light the streets. And so it was it was a pretty horrific time. Well, that's when Paul was captured the second time, and then eventually executed in Rome. And that's when he writes 2 Timothy. He's in a dungeon. We'll get there when we get to 2 Timothy. And it was, and so there, what we're going to see there in these pastoral epistles is Paul is giving his final instructions. This is the Apostle Paul. I mean, he's a giant of the faith. Our great understanding of salvation and so much comes through the Apostle Paul. 
and how the church works and the gifts of the Spirit and all this type of stuff comes from the Apostle Paul. And he's moving on. He's going to be going home soon. He's going to die. And he's laying out to these pastors in these churches, these elders in these churches, he's, he's giving them his final charge. He, and, and you can hear this in his writing. He's like, I was charged by the Lord Jesus, and now I'm charging you. It's the passing of the baton. And it's, it's just heartfelt here. And so we're going to get a real glimpse into what the priorities are of the church, especially in a time when there is so much conflict back then within the church. There was false teaching rising up, and there was also this cultural influence and persecution that was happening on the outside. It's amazing how the Word of God is timeless. And so we're going to learn, hopefully, at least I'm going to be relearning, uh, what the priorities of the church are during these kinds of times. And we're going to see, like, as you flip over into, into just the chapter 2 of Timothy, you're going to see the roles of men and women in the church. You're going to see the priorities of men and women in the church about the, the priority of prayer and men resisting anger, but instead of being angry to learn how to pray together, women instead resisting vanity, instead of vanity, submission and prayer and these types of things. And he just goes on and he, and he starts talking about godly leadership in chapter 3 and what that looks like. And he talk, goes on chapter 4 and talks about false teaching. And then he goes, and anyways, it just goes on and on and on. And, and we're going to glean a lot from this as we move through, as Paul is just kind of laying down basically a, a church uh, workbook, basically, as he, as he just kind of, as he's getting ready to go. And I could go a long, a long time about... Uh, uh, basically the, the historical background of the area that he's, he's preaching to, like what does Ephesus look like? Check out um, Acts 18, 19, 20, somewhere around there, uh, and that, that'll give you an idea about what's going on. Uh, and so there's a lot of idol worship. There's, that was the center of um, basically a lot of cultic-type worship, and yet there's this pocket of Christian, Christians. And it was from Ephesus that was kind of like a hub where all these other little churches were birthed because Paul was there for a couple years preaching. And so instead of going into all this background and stuff, let's just start reading and, and let God bring up the background as we go, okay? It says there in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the command of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope. And with that, I want to stop and I want to pray. Father, we come before you and we just, as we open your precious word, as we look at even the first verse of these beautiful, timeless words, Holy Spirit inspired words for a man named Timothy from an apostle named Paul that you appointed all the way down to us, this church in 2021 here in Walla Walla. Lord, we just... We just want to drink deep of all that you have for us. We pray that through this study we'd be changed. We'd be moved. We'd be a church that's focused on the things you've called us to. And in that, Lord, as we focus on you and your priorities, we would find life and life would flow through us. And we just pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. And so Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope. You know, it's, it's how many of you are, are, are like to write letters? I know we do tweets and emails and all that stuff, but the, writing a letter is a, a lost art. Well, there's a certain format. When you go to school, they tell you how to write a letter. They say, okay, this is what you do, and this is your spacing, and this is what you put wherever it is. Uh, in Paul's day, because they wrote on scrolls, you had to kind of give all the information about who you're writing to and 
and who is writing all the way at the very beginning. And that's, that's what he starts out. And so Paul begins this letter by identifying himself. You didn't have to go to the end of the scroll to find out who you are. You start at the beginning. I'm Paul, the apostle. And, and Timothy knows him, by the way. He knows him. We'll get into that. But Paul identifies himself as an apostle of Christ Jesus. The, the term apostle means sent ones. You're a sent one. You're sent by God. It's an emissary of someone. And so Paul is saying, I'm an emissary of, of God, our Savior, and of, of Jesus Christ by his command. And that's interesting because Paul didn't elect himself to be an apostle. You ever thought of that? Paul didn't say, you know, I'm going to go to apostle school and I'm going to become an apostle. God chose Paul. He was going in the opposite direction. And God came into Paul's life and said, just as he did with the 11, he said, I chose you. You did not chose me that you should go and bear good works. It was God's idea that Paul would be his messenger. Now, if there's any messenger that you would choose to be your messenger, how would you like to choose the person who's persecuting your message, who is tearing down your message, who's killing the people that you're trying to reach? How, how, how many would you choose that person? And so Paul here introduces himself and he says that this came about, me being an apostle, it came about by the command of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus. So Paul didn't elect himself. It came by royal command, by royal decree from God himself. And in preparing this, I, I reread the parts of the book of Acts that describe Paul's conversion. So Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 20, uh, 21, 22, and then 26, and all these types of things. But as I read through this, like in Acts 9, it speaks of Paul's conversion, and this is the original one. Uh, it says, Paul's, it says, he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus. Remember that? And basically, Jesus, a bright light shines. Paul gets knocked off his horse or wherever he falls down to the ground. And he just, and Jesus starts talking. He says, why are you persecuting me? Well, he goes and he's told to go to this guy named Ananias who's in Damascus. See, Paul was on his way to go persecute Christians in Damascus. He's on his way there. But what happened is he's in Damascus and he's told to speak to this guy, Ananias. Now, Paul had been threatening the church and persecuting the church and imprisoning people and standing over their executions and all this type of stuff. And so God talks to this guy named Ananias and, and, and he says, hey, there's a guy named Paul going, you've heard of him. I want you to go see him. And typical reaction, Ananias says in verse 13, but Ananias said, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, <laughs> how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has the authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said, go to him, for he is a chosen instrument of mine. To carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. He's mine. Wow. God sovereignly spoke into the enemy's territory and grabbed Saul and pull them apart for his purposes. It's crazy. Someone who had done so much evil, and Paul talks about that as we go. And so we see that Jesus is, uh, that Paul is Jesus' chosen instrument. Think about that in your life. And again, later in, in chapter, I think, 22, or somewhere around there, Paul fills in some details about his conversion to the crowd as he's in Jerusalem. I love Paul. 
He's sitting there. He's, he starts a riot, basically. He didn't mean to start a riot, but, he, you know, that's just Paul. Whatever he goes in the city, a riot starts. And they're trying, they want to kill him, and all the Romans are kind of shielding Paul from the other person. He goes, hey, let me speak to them. I'm going to go ahead and speak to them. And then he starts telling his story. Surely they'll understand you know, hey, I'm a Jew above Jews. I've done all the things. I was a Pharisee. I was at the top of all these things. And he starts explaining. And then there in verses 14 15, I think of 22, he says, he says, and he said to them, the God of our fathers appointed you. This is, he's repeating what Ananias said to him. So we're getting a little bit more of the story there. He says, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, that is the Messiah, and to hear a voice from his mouth, and you will be a witness for him and to everyone of what you have seen and then heard. And so here God appoints Saul to see and to repeat what he's seen and heard. And, and this gets repeated again as he's before Festus. Remember Paul got arrested and then he's before these Roman uh, people who are holding him and he eventually appeals to Caesar after this. But in Acts 26, years later, two years later actually, after being arrested there in Jerusalem, he recalls the words of the Lord Jesus to him at his conversion. And verse 16 says, But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things which you have seen and to those who which I will appear to you. And so basically, so Paul introduces himself to Timothy. He says, listen, I'm an apostle. Now, how many of you, when you, when you kind of lay down your title, you, you kind of go, you know, I've worked for this. This is who I am. This is what I've done. I've earned. You need to listen to me. And Paul just simply says, this was not my doing. This was all the Lord. He called me. I was an enemy. He called me and made me what I am. And this is the great thing about Paul. We're going to, I don't want to steal the thunder. But it's important. Because God the Father and God the Son appointed Paul. They made him his emissary. They made him his apostle. And so he carries their message, not his own message, their message. And he carries with him as an apostle their authority. And this is the authority that Paul, as he is depart, getting ready to depart in, in a few years here, as, that he's speaking to Timothy with. Not on his own authority, but on the authority of God, speaking to Timothy. And guess what that authority extends to? Guess who it extends to? Christ Community Fellowship of Walla Walla. Because who's the Lord of the church? Jesus Christ. And so the Lord speaks. And he entered, and, he, and Paul, as his servant, says, here I am before you. Paul, notice there also, he calls God the God of, God our Savior. And then he also calls Jesus the hope. See, Tied in with Paul's be, being a messenger, he carried a message. It's the messenger of the message of the gospel. That God provided salvation. To, it's, he, he has a plan to save men from destruction, from wrath. And that is through the hope of Jesus Christ. That's the message that Paul is bringing here. And so he has that all packed into the beginning there. So after he induces himself, he then says there in verse 2, he starts saying who he's talking to. Verse 2, to Timothy, my true child in the faith. Now we learn a lot about Timothy. We'll, we'll learn about it as we go. But 
before we go, I'm, I'm kind of going slow here because I got some foundational things we're laying about people and then I won't repeat them later. So, but basically uh, the word Timothy, the name Timothy means honoring God or one who honors God. That's a pretty cool name, huh? In the first few verses of Acts 16, we find Timothy for the first time. He's in a city called Lystra along with his mom and his, uh, uh, his grandma. And we find out that his dad is Greek. And so he doesn't know the Lord. His dad doesn't know the Lord, but his mom does. And same with his grandma, they were Jews. And uh, they're in Galatia, in the region of Galatian there. And it's there we find that Timothy has this Jewish mother and, and grandmother. And we read about in 2 Timothy uh, 1 and in, in 2 Timothy 3, that his mother Eunice and his grandmother Lois were believers and they taught Timothy the scripture from early ages. And so we find that he has a godly heritage on his mom's side. And so as Paul comes through town, Timothy has the call of God on his heart. We find that uh, that happens through some prophecy that's happening there. And you can read, we'll read about that in a bit. But Paul goes and Paul leaves and spread the, spreads the gospel and Timothy goes with him. He just starts going with him on all his journeys. And so Timothy's Paul's right-hand man, like Luke. And they're all going together in all these places, sailing all these places, going to new towns, spreading the gospel, uh, getting stoned, having to run away from people throwing rocks at them, all those types of things. And so the relationship between Paul and Timothy was profoundly deep, as Paul writes here, calling him a true son in the faith. Now, when Paul calls Timothy a true son in the faith, it means that Timothy was all that Paul had hoped him to be. How many of you have children? And how many of you hope that your children grow to maturity and, and grow in, in wisdom and knowledge and be all that they're called to be as just even human beings? I mean, we want that for our children. And here spiritually, Paul looks at, at Timothy and says, man, you are a true son in the faith. You have grown to the person that God has called you to be. And he's excited about that. He loves Timothy. Timothy's, Timothy's character mimicked Paul's, which mimicked Christ. That was awesome. And, and we see a glimpse into Paul's love for Timothy in Philippians chapter 2, 19 through 24, where Paul's sending Timothy to Philippi, the church in Philippi. So he's sending him to a different church there. And he's, and he's writing to them. He says, verse 19, I says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. Well, why is he... Why would he send Timothy, verse 24, I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how he as a son with a father has served with me in the gospel. And I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I, as I see how it will go with me. And I, and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come to you. In other words, he's sending his own heart. Someone who exactly would be doing his own will. And you kind of seem a mimic there, an image of the father sending the son. It's, it's kind of a neat picture there. So Paul is in chains at that point. He's like, we're going to see how my first imprisonment goes. And, uh, and then we're going to see what happens here. I'm sending Timothy to you. He's like a son. And so now Paul is writing to Timothy, who he left in Ephesus. And the last part of Paul's introduction the second part of verse 2 says, Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so Paul lets Timothy know that as an emissary, as an apostle, listen, the authority that God has given Timothy, the message that he has given, uh, has given Paul, 
with all the power and authority. This is the message that I'm giving to you, Timothy. Ready? Here it is. Here's what God wants you to know first off the bat. What is it? Grace, mercy, and peace. I love that. Grace, mercy, and peace from the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's how the Lord speaks to his church. Grace, mercy, and peace from God. Grace, that undeserved, unmerited favor from God. The forgiveness of sins. Mercy, not getting what you do deserve, basically. And uh, peace, the result of God's grace and, and mercy in your life. You have peace with God. And that's just beautiful. And now he starts the opening verse here. Verse 3, let's get into it. It says, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any, any different doctrine, nor devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculation rather than the stewardship from God which, that is by faith. And so as I mentioned real quickly in the introduction, uh, Paul left Timothy in Ephesus to clean up a mess. There was obviously a lack of leadership. There was bad teaching coming in. There were some things that were going on. And Paul's reason for leaving him there was some kind of false doctrine, strange doctrine. Some of your, your, uh, your Bibles say strange doctrine was creeping into the church as a result of someone within the church or maybe an elder or leadership or whatever was going on or someone outside influencing the church that people were listening to. And they, they, the church, as a result of that weird teaching, People started devoting themselves to strange things. They were devoting themselves to pursuits that weren't healthy, and it was causing disorder. It was causing speculation within the church instead of what Paul says as order, stewardship. It was causing disorder within the church. Now, Paul's really concerned about what is taught in the church. This is important. We need to be, this is, this is the frustrating thing, is that we don't, you know, what I see is that not we as in like you and I, but as, I, as we look out in general, people don't care what's taught anymore. We care what we want to hear. And this is what Paul will talk about later to Timothy. He says, listen, be careful. There's going to be people who are going to gather to themselves, teachers who are going to tickle their ears. They're going to tell them what they want to hear. Who doesn't want to hear good things that you like yourself and we like you and there's nothing wrong with you and and you're just fine as you are. I mean, how many, wants, how many of you want to hear that every day all the time? Well, it's partly true. <laughs> you know? He says, be careful. Paul was really concerned. Listen, on his, his, Paul was pretty much convinced that he was never going to see the church in Ephesus again. And as he was leaving them in Acts 20, uh, Acts probably 20, right? Uh, thank you for the correction there. <laughs> Uh, in verses 28 through 31, Paul is leaving and he's weeping and he's warning the elders of that church. They're all on the shore and he's just like, I'm never going to see you again. And he's weeping and he's crying and he's talking to them in Acts 21, Acts 20. And he, he says there in Acts 20 verses 28 through 30, 31, he says to them, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Wow, I feel the weight of that. This is verse 29. I know that after my departure, what's going to happen? Fierce wolves will come in among you, Ephesus. 
And what is going to happen? And from among your own selves, they're going to come. He says, fierce wolves are going to come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, your own leadership here, your own church, will rise men speaking twisted things, weird doctrine, to draw away disciples after who? After themselves. Instead of after who? After Jesus. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. So that's Paul's parting shot to the church in Ephesus as he leaves years earlier. And here he comes back and he goes, man, this place is a mess. It's getting weird. And he has to put Timothy, his own heart, in that place. And he's writing to Timothy saying, Timothy, these are heavy, weighty things. I've got to go put out fires in all these other places. But you... I'm charging you with the same authority I've been given. Now I'm handing it to you. Now go and take care of these things. And so he was telling Timothy, charging Timothy, make sure that the elders stopped letting this nonsense go on and that none of these wolves that were creeping in had a platform to deceive the sheep. And Paul tells Timothy some of the issues he needed to be aware of were packaged with these strange doctrines, that these teachings that they were facing had something to do with myths and endless genealogies. So Paul later calls these things the doctrine of demons in chapter 4, verse 1. And in 4, verse 6, he says they're kind of things that, like old wives' tales type of a thing. Now, we don't exactly know what he was actually dealing with in the church, what was going wrong. But Paul says that people were becoming devoted as a result of these teachings to myths and endless genealogies. I think it was some kind of mixture of the paganism of the day, but also just a legalistic Judaism uh, with asceticism, which is basically kind of like a a self-deprecation type of, of thing, like a monkish type of idea where they kept people from getting married, and it was all about if you could deny yourself enough and and destroy yourself and hurt yourself and isolate yourself and be devoted enough, if you did all these things and kept the law and then were devoted to these genealogies and all these myths and all this type of stuff, then you'd be right with God. Just this weird take on Judaism and a weird take on the pagan culture. It was all coming together. And unless you think that's weird... We've got the same weird stuff going on today where we somehow equate Americanism with Christianity all the time. And I love America. I do, and I love the freedoms. But they are, there's a kingdom of God and then there's the kingdom of man. We've got to separate out those two, right? And I won't even get into there, get into all that right now. And if any of you know me, I, you know, I get fired up about stuff. And, you know, that's why you don't hear me talk too much about politics because I'm pretty much wrong all the time. You know, whatever I'm saying, I'm speaking from my own heart and not from what the scriptures say, right? Anyways, silence there. So, but maybe I'm right. Yeah. Oh, is that what you want to hear? Let's switch to talk about that stuff. Yeah. But we don't really know what the teachings were, right? But as a result of them, it was co- what the result of the teaching was is it was causing disunity in the church. It was causing disorder. It was causing people to 
divide and do weird stuff. Paul says there in verse 4 that it promoted speculation or endless debate. Endless debate. Any of you guys been in an endless debate lately about things? I'm not even going to go there. Rather than stewardship or order, what God's given us to be about, which is by faith. That's what he says. And that's the same thing that happens today when we deviate from the clear teachings of Scripture and go on into conspiracy theories and all this kind of stuff or whatever. There's a lot of them out there right now. And the result of them is speculation instead of faith. Listen, the church now more than ever, and things are important. And, and you know, like, like I'm all, I, I am totally against people getting their jobs taken away for all this nonsense that's going on. People shouldn't be able to choose things and I get all that. But above that, the higher calling, and I know that hits right at the heart of home, the church is called to be about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Above all, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the truth that transcends all nations, the truth that tr transcends all cultures, all economic backgrounds, all differences of opinion on stuff, the great equalizer that all men have sinned and fallen short of God, and you're all headed to hell except for the grace of Jesus Christ. Because that's all that's going to matter at the end of the day. And the church is the voice of the Lord on the earth right now to proclaim that message. We need to not be about speculation. We need to be about what is bringing order to people's lives, which is the gospel and submission to Jesus Christ. And I'm not saying we can't talk about these things and pray with one another. That's not it. But don't be devoted to myths. Don't be devoted to endless genealogies and endless speculations. It's so tempting, but it just results in, well, how many more, how much longer do we have to do this? So Paul says to, verse, to Timothy in verse 5, the aim of our charge the aim of what God has called me to do as an apostle, and I therefore charge you with as Timothy and what you are to charge the church with. The aim of that charge, and by the way, that charge is a military term. It's not up for debate. Pastor. <laughs> Start it, right? Elder. It's not up for debate. Sheep. This is a charge from on high. The aim of our charge is what? What's the result in the command of God in, in the gospel? It's love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. That's what the gospel does to someone. That's our command. The teaching that is to guide the church, it results, the fruit of it is love. Love for God, first of all. Right? Love for God. Do we love God? Not in a worldly type of love where God exists to fulfill what I want to have happen, but we exist to obey Him for His glory. I love you, therefore I obey you. That's the love language of God. Love for God, and what is His command that we do what? If you were not here for 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, boy, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir, right? What is it? 
This is my command that you love one another as I have loved you. So the commands of God, the obedience of God results in love. Love for God and love for one another. Right? And this love and obedience is issued from a pure heart, he says. And a good conscience. A pure heart means, remember, uh, who shall ascend the hill of, uh, hill of the Lord? He was a clean heart, a pure heart. How do we receive a pure heart? When we put our faith in Christ, He gives us a pure heart. He cleanses us of our sin. Our hearts are not pure except for the redemptive work of the Father through faith in His Son. And so we, we love because He first lived us. He, he's cleansed us. He's given us a pure heart. And then that, that, that follows with a good conscience. God's cleaned our conscience. Why? Because now we now walk in obedience instead of disobedience. And so we are a people who have been cleansed by God and who walk accordingly. We walk in righteousness. And so, and that is a love. There's, there's a love for God and a love for one another. And so, a sincere faith, Paul says, lastly, and the aim of the doctrine that Paul was giving, given by God resulted in love that came not only from a pure heart and a pure conscience, but a sincere faith. The word sincerity has the idea of being without cracks, without hypocrisy. And, and I, I've shared this with you before about what had happened in the old days is the potters would make these, these uh, what do potters make? Thank you. Yeah, pots. <laughs> Don't do pot, kids. Yeah. So, um, so, gosh, man. So, anyways, so what they would do is they would take wax when they, they would have cracks in it, right? And they would put wax on it and they paint over it, right? And then they'd sell it. Well, what would happen is someone would put it under heat and then what would happen? The wax would melt and the pot would leak. And so the way that they would, would see if it was sincere or not without cracks is they'd hold it up to the light. And if the light shone through the wax or whatever it was, they'd see, ah, it's, 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 you know, it's not sincere, or it is sincere. And that's the idea. We're to be without cracks. We're to be without hypocrisy. We're to be truly who we claim to be as we walk in the light. We're to have a sincere faith. And Lord knows that he's working to make that it, uh, true in us through the, through the process of the Holy Spirit uh, working in our lives until we go to see Jesus. Sanctification. Amen. But their doctrine, these people, these false teachers, they don't have any of this. Their doctrine doesn't have the aim of love for God that flows from a pure heart with a pure conscience and sincere faith. The fruit of believers' life is love. It's expressed in obedience to God. And verse 6 says, Certain persons, by swerving from these, have moving away from these, have wandered away into vain discussions, into endless, fruitless discussions. Timothy would have to confront these people. How many, I don't want to confront anybody. Who wants to be confronted? How many like, like that? I don't want to be confronted. And so Timothy, he, he, Paul is, is describing what he's going to have to face. So certain persons by swerving away from these have wandered away into vain discussions. And Timothy's going to have to go and talk to them about missing the mark there. Paul describes these false teachers or these people who are off the path in verse 7. He says, desiring to become, to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. And so 
he's giving us a hint into what was going on. There's people who wanted to be pastors and teachers in the church and all this stuff, and they wanted to claim that they, they, they wanted to proclaim the law of Moses, but they had no idea what the purpose in the, of the law of Moses was. And Paul, who was a Pharisee, knew everything about the law. And he's saying these people have no idea what, what they're doing. They have no clue what's going on. Boy, isn't that a revelation today? You know, all the pastors and teachers out there, including me, it's like, do you really know the word of God? Do you really know what it says? Are you proclaiming what it says or what you want it to say to lead people into what you want them to do? So here these men desired to be the teachers of the laws, and so they were basically Jews who desired the position of teacher, but they didn't understand the consequences and the responsibilities and what was to be the whole thing. They didn't understand, so they were leading these sheep astray. They wanted the position, but they didn't understand the responsibility or even the nature of the law of God. So these were the people who were influencing the people in the church and 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 Paul he he can't help but stop there and start talking about what in the world the purpose of the law is. Timothy already knows this, and that's why he says in verse eight, now we know, and then he starts explaining what Timothy already knows, but he's reminding them, reminding him because he's gonna have to confront people and teach people about this. What's the purpose of the law? How many of you if, if you've been asked um, before how, you know, like a simple question, even the, the question is wrong, but how do you know you're getting to heaven? How many of you have said at one time in your life, well, I keep the Ten Commandments? I mean, just throwing it up there and saying, listen, like, I, a very simple understanding is, is God has ten of these rules, and I do a pretty good job at following. I try to follow them. And therefore, based upon my ability to keep these ten, ten rules, then at the end of life, God's going to say, hey, you're, you're in. You made it. Great. Good job. You did more keeping than breaking. <clears throat> right? That's a works-based righteousness. Or, hey, if you keep the Sabbath, or if you don't eat this, or you do eat that, or you go to church on Sunday, or you tithe, or you don't break this law or that law, and, and just, just you kind of just go down this, this legalistic route. And I'm saying... Here's the thing we need to know. Paul starts telling us what actually the purpose of the law is. Is any of that bad? Well, he says, now we know that the law is what? It's good. It's perfect. It's holy. It reveals God's perfect standard. It reveals his very nature and character. What he requires in his kingdom. He says, you know, it's good if one uses it lawfully, then uses it rightly. Understanding this, this is the important thing about the law. Write this down if you come from a legalistic background, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless. It's for the disobedient, for the ungodly, and sinners for the unholy and the profane, for those who, and he starts getting into more specifics, who strike their fathers and mothers for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, 
enslavers, people who were capturing people to enslave them, slave trade, trafficking today, all that kind of stuff, liars, perjurers, and whatever else. This is not an exhaustive list. He says, and whatever else is contrary to what? Sound doctrine, to teaching, which is in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. Paul's main point, the law doesn't save. It shows you need to be saved. That's the point of the law. The standard is impossible. It shows us that the speed limit is 35 miles an hour down to Marston, and then 30, and then 25, and then 35, and you're not keeping it. We can complain about the law all day, but there it is, and there's a reason for it. And, I, and I've, had, I've driven down that thing for 12 years, and I finally figured it out. It's just based upon how far away the houses are away from the street. Just to let you know. I know. So I had to explain that. I mean, why is it like this? There's a reason behind it, and I just didn't get it. Just preserve life. God is holy. He's just. He's got his reasons. I'm not equating that maze with the righteousness of God. But it's to show us that we don't keep it. It's impossible. And notice Paul lists all those categories of sin. Right? He says it's all contrary to sound doctrine. It's contrary to right, holy teaching. All those things are contrary. So if you're in a church right now, if you're listening online or wherever you are, that teaches that those things are acceptable now, get out. That's a lie. It's contrary to sound doctrine. It's contrary to what the gospel is. Because he says it's in accordance to the gospel. The gospel is calling people to repent and to run and to turn from that stuff and to turn towards the Savior because the law shows them that they've broken God's holy standard. Make sense? Run from it. Run to Jesus. The only one who's kept the law. Paul's clear about all these things. As well, anything, as well as anything else that contradicts the sound doctrine, which is in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God. That means the gospel, the good news that God offers forgiveness through faith in Christ to all who have lived contrary to the law. God has provided forgiveness through the death of Jesus Christ and new life through his resurrection. The law is good. It shows that we are not, and it points us to God for mercy through Jesus. And Paul says that he was entrusted with that message. And he started with the Jews, and he walked into the Jewish synagogues in every place he went, and that's why they quite, they quite often threw rocks at him. Because he said, you are trying to have a righteousness that is an offense to God because you can't keep it. Because God not only requires an external righteousness, he requires the internal righteousness. It's not that you don't lie, it's that you're not a liar. It's not that you don't have murder someone, it's that you don't have murder or anger in your heart towards someone. Wow, and he goes down the list. You see, read that Matthew 5 through 7. It's just impossible. It shows us how utterly fallen we are. 
and people are teaching a works righteousness like they were in that church, that somehow if you just do all these things, then you're going to be right with God. That is not the gospel. He saves you so that you can. <laughs> By the Spirit of God in you, now you follow the law of love, which is higher. And there's a, there's a whole theology there. But in typical Paul-like fashion, Paul doesn't want Timothy to think that any of this was because of Paul, what he was saying. Paul just laid down the law real quick. He says, these guys, they don't even know how to use the law. This is what the law is for. And I want you to know this is how the law is used. It's used to show people that they're sinners. It's to point them to Jesus. And then he puts on a spectacle where everyone didn't see that we've all read his case in point. In verse 12, he says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful and appointed me to his service. This is not Paul, no, this is not God looking at Paul saying, Hey, he's faithful. He's a faithful dude. In other words, Paul says, in his judgment, he decided to make me faithful, putting me into his service. That's what he's saying. God, for his own reasons, decided to make me what I am and appoint me and to put me in his service. What's the contrast? What's he getting at here? He just talked about the law. Check it out. He said he did that, verse 13, though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent opponent. Now, if you look at Paul's background, he was a stud Pharisee. He kept the law to a T. He was above all the guys in Judaism. He was top of his class. He was taught by Gamaliel. He was circumcised on the right day. He did, he did all this stuff. He was zealous for the law. He was zealous for Judaism. But it came to being a teacher of the law, he was the best at it. This is what the scriptures, I'm, I'm summarizing what so many places talk about. But you see, Paul realized when he came face to face with Jesus on the road to Damascus, that he was in fact a lawbreaker. That he was on the other end of the law. He realized that in fact he was a blasphemer. He was trying to get people to blaspheme God so that he could execute them and just publicly say what you already said, you know, already believe. He was a persecutor of God and he was an insolent opponent, he found out, of God. How many of you were walking and you thought you were with God and then you realized when God in his mercy showed you who he was, you realized you were on the other end of the barrel? Yeah. Jesus, when he saw Paul, he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting me? Paul was opposing God. Paul, in his testimony before Agrippa and Caesarea in Acts 26, he says in verses 9 through 11, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. He was devoted, religious guy, devoted to the law. He says, and I did so in Jerusalem. 
and not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, guess what? But when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. He was presiding over the executions of the church. How would you all feel if the guy who presided over the executions of your family members became an apostle? That's a little, you can feel the tension, right? This is part of Paul's testimony. He says, this is what I did. And I punished them, verse 11, often in all the synagogues. And I tried to make them blaspheme. I tried to make them break the law just to confess what I already thought they thought. And in enraging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. He hated them so much and he was, thought he was so self-righteous and going after all this stuff. I was such a law keeper. All this stuff. He decided he was going to go to foreign cities to go after all these people. He was the zealot who would go do that. This is who Paul was. Verse 13, but I received what? Mercy, because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. God had mercy with Paul who was deceived. Paul's sin was met by God's grace and mercy. And that grace and mercy by Christ Jesus, it resulted in faith and love. God changed Paul in the depths of his sin. How wicked was Paul killing Christians, persecuting Jesus, being a blasphemer against God? And yet what happened is God showed him mercy. And then Paul just goes right into it. He wants it right off the bat that anything he's talking about, he needs to know that this is all God. God was so merciful to me. This is the message we preach. This is why I've been entrusted. Not because of anything I've done. I've done everything contrary to deserve this. But verse 15, the saying is trustworthy and deserves full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost, of whom I am chief. The Apostle Paul knew who he was, but the grace of God was greater. The chief of sinners tells Timothy why God would do this. Why would God do this? But I received mercy for this reason. Why would God be so merciful to Paul? Paul, I've got a plan for you. It's through you that I'm going to show how merciful I am to everyone who would believe. This is what Paul says, but I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the chief, the foremost of sinners, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example of those who were to believe in him for eternal life. How many of you walked in here riddled with guilt and your sins stacked against you? Well, it's probably not going to outweigh Paul. that the Lord Jesus was merciful and gracious to Paul. What about you? Yes. Turn to him. Confess. Call out. You feel the weight of the law. Now run to the cross and receive forgiveness.
And what does that cause Paul to do when he thinks of the great cross of Jesus Christ, the mercy of God? What does it cause him to do? Verse 17, to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. What is that? God, worship. You wonder in your own heart, you want to become a greater worshiper of God? Man, focus on the cross. Focus on the mercy and the grace that God's given you. And let it flow back to Him in thanks and praise. He has been forgiven much, loves much. And after reminding Paul's calling and commission, he says, man, this is who I was. This is who I am. This is what God's done. Let's close out here. Verse 18 says, This charge I entrust to you. This charge. This command I entrust to you. My child. It's entrusted to you. In accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may get, get, wage the good warfare. You've got to fight the good fight, Timothy. Your battle's not over yet. He's going to tell them again, you've got to fight the good fight. What is the good fight? The good warfare. Well, he says, first of all, that, that it's a, in accordance to the prophecies given uh, about you. And so the church gathered around, they prayed, and there were prophets in the church, and they spoke a word to Timothy or whatever it was when they were gathered there in the early church. And what happened is Timothy was called into ministry. There was something that was said about him that he was to go and to be this man. And he went and he followed. You see, be obedient to that. Fight the good fight. Do what's contrary. Continue in it. And he says that you've got to fight the good fight, Timothy. And here's what it looks like. Holding the faith and a good conscience. It means trust and obey. Keep the word. And don't be a hypocrite. Do what God's called you to do. Stay on the path. We find it is God who calls us to will and to do, but we are called yet nevertheless to obey and to walk in obedience. Stay. Have that pure walk before God and a good conscience. Fight the good fight. Continue. That's what it's going to take. Because what's, what's, what are you going to face? He says, verse 19 and 20, by rejecting this, by rejecting the good fight, by Rejecting continuing to walk by rejecting having a good conscience, but walking in hypocrisy. He says, Some have made shipwreck of their faith. Verse 20, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. What does that mean? Just in closing. Apparently, there were believers who were even prominent teachers in the church, probably, and Paul says. They didn't fight the good fight. They wandered. They didn't hold. And they shipwrecked their faith. I don't think that means that they're not saved. I think it means they became useless. They couldn't be used by the Lord. See, that's the, that's, you want to be used by the Lord? Obey Him and stay pure. And you'll have power. That's our witness. We, we, our, our witness to the world is truth. Truth and love. Paul put these guys out of the church. That's what happened. He handed them over to Satan. We see another example of that in 1 Corinthians 5. 
where someone was sleeping with his mother-in-law. They hadn't put him out of the church. Paul says, you haven't put him out of the church? What are you doing? Put him out of the church for the destruction of their flesh that their soul may be saved. And this is, this is the idea of the church, is that it's to be a holy place. And not, not that we don't confess our sin or have faults, but when we sin, we confess. We walk in the light, First John, right? And we, we stay tight with one another and we, and we move forward. Right? But it's when someone hardens their heart and they just go off. And Paul says, you're a cancer now. And I want you to be with the Lord. And so what's going to happen is we're removing you from the protection of the church. And, and Matthew chapter 18 happens. And that whole process of church discipline happens when the church removes them from fellowship. And then Satan has their way with them. You've seen that with people. With their ship without a rudder. At the end of 2 Corinthians, you see that person who went away. They actually came back. He says, let them back in. They repented. Yay. (laughs) And that's the whole idea is repentance. So this is how Paul enters it. It starts out the chapter. It's kind of heavy stuff. But Paul's laying down the end. He's saying, listen, you fight the good fight. Stay put. I've been called, I've been charged, and now you've been called, you've been charged. You've got to fight your fight. Your fight isn't my fight, your fight's your fight. You walk with the Lord. and You've got a battle. and God's put you in the position you're in. He's raised you up for this time, for a time such as this. Continue on. And then, if you just flip to chapter 2, he starts getting into what he has to share with the church and how they're to live. And I would encourage you to read through that this week. And you're going to have a lot of questions, ladies, when you get to the end of chapter 2. Because you can be saved through childbearing. That's going to be fun to talk about. We'll spend like three weeks on the submission of the ladies, you know. Guys, what do you think about that? They're all silent. Uh, it's going to be awesome. Now, I'm going to try to hit a chapter at a time unless we need to slow down. Okay. Anyways. Let's pray. God, your mercy is so great, is so good. Thank you that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The weight of the law was upon us, God, and we we never matched up to you. Your glory and your perfection. But you sent the light into the world, Jesus Christ, and he lived the life we could never live, and he died the death we should have died. And he rose again on the third day, and we believe that he's the Son of God, that he's the Savior of the world. And he is our hope. And so, Lord, we turn to you this morning. We turn in faith. We, we turn from our sin. We turn towards you. We ask, Lord, that you restore the joy of our salvation. Renew a right spirit in us. That we would fight the good fight. That we would keep the faith, Lord. That we would hold on, continue. And that you'd give us that clean, good conscience as we walk. May we be your light in a dark place. Maybe we'd be that sweet fragrance in this world and point every man, woman, and child to you. And so we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.